In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. It's the summer of 1993, and uh, I'm in college, and my dad decides to take myself and my college roommate camping. And so we left when my dad got off of work on a Friday afternoon, and we drove up three hours north of Las Vegas near Ely to the um, Great Basin National Park. We got there uh, very late at night, about 10 o'clock, and we drove up to the very top campground, Wheeler Peak. And once we got up there, we realized that all the campgrounds were full. We drove around through the campground twice. Everything was taken. I uh, advocated for going down to one of the lower campgrounds to try to find a spot. My dad said, no, we'll just find a nice flat place to pitch the tent. So uh, he was the dad, so we pitched the tent, and uh, we found this uh, at the top of the campground, this nice, uh, big, flat, graded area. And so we put the tent up, and uh, we threw in our sleeping bags, and we were just dozing off to sleep. Uh, when half of the tent collapsed. And uh, so one half is, is collapsed and it kind of startled all of us and we woke up. And my dad says, well, that's not so bad. I'm okay. Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. My friend Tom said, no, I'm not okay. The tent's on my head. We need to get out of here. So we take our sleeping bags out of the tent and we collapse the rest of the tent and then we lay our sleeping bags out on top of the tent. Well, I was tired and I was irritated. I was frustrated that this tent had collapsed, that there was no camping spot, that we're here in just some flat place, who knows where. Um, I was not at all pleased with the situation. And I'm staring up at the sky, just irritated, when all of a sudden I realize at 10,000 feet, the clouds move really fast. And they were just whizzing past us at incredible speed. And then as more and more clouds went past, I suddenly realized that they were behind the, the, in front of the moon. And suddenly the moon shone bright as these clouds moved past them, and the moon was bigger than any moon I had ever seen. And at 10,000 feet on this clear August night, I could see detail in the moon that I had never noticed before. And of course, growing up in Las Vegas with the worst light pollution in the world, I saw constellations and the beauty of the stars and the depth of the sky that again I had never seen before and suddenly laying on this collapsed tent I was just in awe of the beauty of God's creation. Ezekiel's tent had collapsed too. Worse than that it wasn't just his tent it was the nation of Israel's tent. You'll remember that Abraham moves from uh, present-day Iraq and Ur, and he goes along the Fertile Crescent, and he goes to the Promised Land, and uh, he has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. They grow into a great nation while they're in Egypt, and then you'll remember the prophet Moses leads them up out of Egypt, and when he leads them up out, the Lord speaks to Moses, and he shows uh, up on a mountaintop, in this high place of Mount Sinai, he shows Moses uh, where heaven and earth would meet. That there would be a place where heaven and earth would come together, and they called it the tabernacle, this meeting place, this tent of meeting of the Lord. 
And they take that tent of meeting into the promised land and they finally make it to Jerusalem. And you'll remember that King David secures uh, the city of Jerusalem again on this high mountaintop. And they build a permanent place for that tent that then gets called the, the tabernacle of the Lord. Again, it's this place where heaven and earth meet, where the Lord comes and dwells with his people. And this meeting place had been there now for almost 500 years when the... Uh, this great rising, conquering empire of Babylon sweeps through after they had been peppered by the Assyrians from the north and the Egyptians from the south. Finally, the Babylonians come in and they collapse Israel's tent, the tabernacle. They desecrate it and they break it down stone by stone. And they take Ezekiel and his friends, the prophet Daniel and others, back into Babylon. They're now back where they had started very close to where Abraham had begun his journey among pagan peoples who did not call out to the Lord by his name. And Ezekiel is staring uh, over this uh, beautiful canal and he's staring to Jerusalem and he's uh, moaning and crying over the collapse of Israel's tent when the Lord opens the sky for him and he shows him a vision of what it is that he's doing. And the Lord explains to the prophet Ezekiel and to the nations of the world that his picture is bigger than that meeting place. It's bigger than uh, the nation of Israel. It's bigger even than all these conquering nations. And he shows how the great empires of the world are under the thumb of the Lord. They're either under his protection or under his uh, justice. And that the Lord is going to deal with them, as uh, St. Paul says, according to what they have done in their bodies. He shows how the, the nation of Israel had lost their tent because they had turned in wickedness and pagan worship. And now we have the whole empires of the world, the great northern uh, empire of Assyria and the southern empire of Egypt and Pharaoh, its king, uh, being explained how uh, it is that they've grown up into this great power and strength. And the Lord says uh, their might, their power, these tall trees and these beautiful growths of their woods are even the envy of Eden. That should shock us, that even Eden didn't see the beauty of the nation of Assyria and its full strength and power, and that they've made this very subtle mistake that is, it turns out to be the greatest mistake that we can make. But when you first look at it, it's so subtle. It's a little subtle mistake called pride. A little mistake called pride. See, they looked at the, the strength that they had, the wealth that they had, the power that they had, and they said, oh, maybe we did that. Maybe it's our power. Maybe we're so smart. Maybe we're so wise. We're so intelligent. We've got such great history and culture, and we've got such great technology, and we've built all these wonderful things. Aren't we wonderful? And the Lord says, in truth, I gave you all those things. And their unwillingness to give the Lord his due of worship is what we call pride. Instead of placing thanks in the Lord, they place it in themselves. And the Lord says, there is no place in my garden for pride. It's a weed that I will pull out. And so he pulls that, that weed of pride out and they collapse because they're not in his protection. The kingdoms of the world, it turns out, are like small children. Small children have to hold on to their parents in danger when they cross the street or they go to a new place. They have to hold on to their parent's hand. And at first, the parent holds on to the child's hand with a firm grip to not allow the child to go. But as the child grows older, 
The child has to learn, I need to hold on to my parent's hand for safety. I need to participate in my own safety. I have to not be always tugging away, but I'm going to have to watch what my parent is doing. I'm going to have to learn how to protect myself, how to provide safety, and how to participate in the right ways of living my life. And the Lord is saying that the great nations of, of Egypt and the great nations of Assyria and even the, the holy people of Israel, instead of participating with the Lord in his righteousness, have pulled their hand away and said, I'll do it my own self. And this is the state in which our Lord Jesus finds the nation of Israel having pulled their hand away and he's trying to show them the condition of their heart. What does a heart look like that pulls their hand away from safety and from protection, pulls their hand away from grace and mercy and insists on doing it themselves? And the Lord shows the condition of this heart in these parables, these agricultural parables that we see get told and retold and do in different ways showing us different facets especially here in mark's gospel chapter four the fourth chapter of mark's gospel starts with this parable of the soils you remember the parable of the soils right there's these four conditions of the heart the lord says very clearly right i am the sower of the seed the seed is my gospel my truth my commandments and the hearts of the people that it lands in are these four different soils do you remember this he talks first about that hard path Right? This is Mojave Desert soil. Right? It's like a sidewalk. And what happens to a seed that's thrown onto a sidewalk? It dies. It gets burned up in the sun. And then there's that rocky soil, right? That rocky soil is the one that uh, receives it, but there's no depth. There's no real depth in the spirit. There's the thorny soil, right? That's the soil where uh, the cares of the world come in and they uh, grasp for the gospel, right? We're so often caught up by the cares of this world. Uh, what am I going to do with my money? What am I going to do with my stuff? What am I going to do with all these things? I've got troubles here. What am I going to do about this? And what am I going to do about that? And those are all the cares of the world that snuff out our focus and our attention upon the gospel and upon the ways of the Lord. And then finally, there's that deep, rich, fertile soil of our hearts that's been broken up, right? To get that good soil, it has to be broken. It has to be dug in. It has to be picked. It has to be sifted. And that's what the Lord would do to our hearts, right? He would dig them up and he would uh, allow humility to grow in our hearts. And for us to go from that rocky path of pride into humility, we're going to have to face some difficulties. We're going to have to finally come to the realization that we can't do it. That it's the Lord who is providing and he's the one who is guiding and showing us. And when we finally realize that, then we allow the seed to grow. Jesus says something very amazing about this. He says that the sower of the seed doesn't know how. Because the Lord is not going to force it upon our hearts. He's not going to force the gospel into us. He's not a puppet master. He's not a, a controller of robots. He's not going to treat us like some kind of a machine or a puppet and make us receive his gospel. He says he doesn't even know how because it's our heart and he's going to allow us control over the way that we receive uh, this world. Will we respond in anger and frustration or will we submit ourselves with humility to his gospel and he shows that when we receive in humility his gospel that what grows in us is a tree that's like these great trees of Assyria these wonderful flowering trees that are so mighty and large that they provide shade for the birds of heaven and the fathers of the church say the birds of heaven are the angels of God could you imagine that our spiritual life through humility to could grow to such a place where the angels would come and sit in the shade of our prayers. 
Could you imagine a place where the angels of heaven would come and want to be under the shade of of the righteousness that we participate in the kingdom of God? That he would grant that kind of beauty and grace to us when we submit in humility to the kingdom of God and to his ways? And Jesus is saying that is the kingdom of God. When we meet God in prayer, when we meet him in righteousness and holiness, that is the kingdom of God. We're called to participate in the kingdom of God that is at hand, the kingdom of God that's within us. That is where the seed lies. That is where God lies. He wants to be in this intimate relationship with us. He wants to build a tabernacle, not out there up the street, but within our hearts and in our community. And the prophet, uh, excuse me, St. Paul uh, shows us uh, this same analogy, but of course St. Paul tweaks it a little bit. Uh, Instead now of talking this agricultural analogy of the, the growing of the seed, he uses an analogy of a tent, which is of course exactly what St. Paul should be using, right? Because St. Paul was a tent maker, right? So of course he's going to use an analogy of a tent. And St. Paul says that we've been given tents to live in. That's these earthly bodies. That's this physical body that we inhabit right now. These are tents. And he says what? He says, we're going to move from these physical bodies, which are tents, into a permanent dwelling place, a house of God. Those are the resurrected bodies of God. Right? Christ first comes into the resurrection. He's the first resurrected. And we too are going to have these resurrected bodies. Where was the resurrected body of Christ? It was among us. Where was it? It was in the world. What did it do? It ate. And yet it walked through walls. It was recognized and yet it wasn't. There are these mysterious bodies that the Lord promises us. And he says, uh, do we desire to be in that new building, that new house? Of course we do. Because the Lord has built it for us. It's like having a mansion that our Father bought for us, right? Our Father has built this beautiful mansion, these resurrected bodies for us, and He's he's laid them out for us. And on the front yard of this mansion, He's given us a little tent just to get used to living on the property. It's a new place. It's a new neighborhood. I've built it for you, and I've given you this nice tent to live in. And we're thankful for the tent that He's given us. But it's on the front yard. And we get all this stuff, and we fill the tent with all this stuff, and we, we put all this stuff around it, And then the tent starts to wave in the breeze. And we start to get nervous. Gee, this tent might collapse. These bodies might get sick and die. They will. All these tents are going to collapse. But who, living in a tent in the front yard of a mansion, is all that worried about the tent? Great! Let it collapse, because then I'm moving right in to the permanent dwelling of the house that my Lord built for me. And the Most High, I'm not urgent for that tent to collapse, but when it does, I have a permanent dwelling place in God. A permanent place for the Lord. And the beautiful thing about this imagery that, that Ezekiel uses is that these trees are even taller than Eden. He goes back to paradise. He goes back to that desire to dwell with us. And Jesus reminds us that these mustard trees are so big that they're places for us to dwell and he would allow us to participate. So we have a choice, a choice in how we will dwell in the Lord and participate in the kingdom of God. 
That flat place my dad found was a parking lot. (laughs) Which filled completely with cars before breakfast. It wasn't permanent. We had it for one night. But if we didn't have that clearing, if we couldn't see the sky, if we had spent that whole night looking at the roof of the tent, we wouldn't have seen the beauty of creation and the promise of God's plan, which is so much bigger than what we can hope for or imagine. Let us be thankful in the promise of God.